everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Josh Ponelat. Josh, do you want to say hello? Hey. Hey, guys. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Now, um, it's been a while since we talked. Uh, we had you on JavaScript Jabber. I need to look up the episode real quick. Do you want to introduce yourself while I do that? Sure. So um, my name is Josh Ponelad, and I'm a, a software architect at SmartBear. Um, guys who bring you Swagger and recently Cucumber. Uh, got a lot of open source stuff there. So, um, But my background and why we're here is because I write JavaScript a lot. And so we're probably nice. going to talk about that. Yeah, we actually uh, had you on to talk about Swagger and Open API and all of that stuff uh, back in November of 2019. So, yeah, good stuff. I was trying to remember exactly when and exactly what, but yeah, I I do like seven or eight podcasts a week, so it's like details. Right, right, yeah, no. So that that one sticks uh, more in my mind for sure. And yeah, definitely Swagger, Open API, very yeah. interesting topics for me. Very cool. Now, uh, we were chatting and you said you're from South Africa, but you don't have that strong South African accent. So. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 my accent, I would say, is mid-Atlantic, so in the middle of nowhere. Uh -huh. um, it's, it's working with you know, Americans and, and Irish and English and uh, never really – I was homeschooled as well, so all of these elements put together, you never get to settle on an accent. And my parents are not South African, German and Portuguese – so I'm a kind of a mongrel, you know, but I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, here here in the U.S., I mean, at, to a certain extent, yeah, we're we're all a mix. So it keeps you know, things I'm, exciting, right? Yeah, I know some folks. Some folks have their parents or grandparents all immigrated, and so you know they're they're generally less of a mix. But yeah, all that matters is that we we try and be good people, right? Hundred percent, and celebrate our you know differences and cultures and and all those things in between um i think there's a lot of there's a lot of good about culture and, and it can be put in the in a bad light um where it gets too extreme um mm -hmm. but it, it 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 pays to focus on the good things um you know i mean we get to eat like food just the amount of different foods we get is amazing and that's worth celebrating i would die if i could not get pizza that would be it for me i would i would not consider food without pizza. <laughs> I know, right? Anyway, uh, this, this show is less about pizza and more about uh, JavaScript. So let's talk about your background and where, where uh, you came from as far as code goes. How did, how did you learn to code? Where, where did you pick that up? So my father is a programmer, and I think obviously that has a huge influence 
um, he, he worked in um, uh, SAP. So mm -hmm. um, the programming language, which is very unique, is ABAP. And, um, and so the, I was around that growing up from an early age. So I learned to program around 13, age 13. Um, oh, nice. Awesome book, which I've been trying now for months, almost years to get back. It was a book on NCC. So very NCC. vanilla C. Yeah. And it was amazing because this book took me from zero, a kid just, you know, trying to get excited about it into writing C code. Uh, I think the, the end project of the book was building an address book. So you would persist this to disk and it was all a uh, sort of command line interface and it was just amazing that that blew my mind um so i've been i've been trying to get that book back so uh, keep nice. uh, keep an ear out for me yeah yeah we'll do so ansi c so you learned how to program in c right which i remember in college um we picked up you know we had to do some c programming and yeah people kept fumbling over pointers and dereferencing and things like that um, it's, it's not necessarily a language for the faint hearted. No, it, no, it's not. And I think it's, it's influenced a lot of my, um, program development over the years because it was such a, there was this blank canvas of, I had no idea what was, what was cutting. So, I mean, the word void plagued me for a bit, you know, and I had to keep bugging my dad. <laughs> what does this word mean? I don't understand it. And some of those basics, I mean, I wouldn't say I was a great C programmer, but some of those basics have stuck with me and, you know, just understanding pointers at, a, at an early part of my career, if you call it, really helped, you know, passing by reference and, and, and how things work in memory. Um, I think that that was a great benefit to, you know, instead of coming in on a, I wouldn't want to say easier language or more interpreted language, mm -hmm. uh, which is what we do today more than anything. So it was different, different sort of um, background, I suppose, than most yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I mean, and a lot of the things that you learn from pointers and um, structs and the way that C kind of thinks about itself, you know, it translates uphill to, you know, other languages that are more object-oriented. Um, and yeah, I found that even though that, you know, it's not necessarily the same structure, a, a lot of that stuff kind of happens under the hood when you're using right. other systems. Yeah, no, and I mean, object-oriented and functional programming, I mean, they're more exciting, I suppose, now. Um, yeah. All these different patterns, uh, definitely. So, yeah, that was, that was me, age 13, and, and Linux. That was uh, another big thing, Nerd. learning Bash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although in South Africa, we call it Linux, which uh, no one else called it that. So it kind of freaked me out where I'd say, hey, I'm learning Linux. And they just looked at me funny or, you know, looked at me was, you know, typing but I could, I could detect their look, you know, through the, right. yeah, the chat yeah. groups. The slant of their font and all that. Exactly. exactly. It communicates a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. What, where did you wind up going from there? Because, I mean, now we're talking about JavaScript and, you know, Swagger and Open API with you. So, so how did you get from there to here? So that was, that was my teenage years was just right. hacking around and I, I would find odd jobs um uh, some mostly around c and, and shells and, and things like that and eventually i got to school um and i decided to put that all beside me you know that was that was done now programming was something else and i learned how to be a graphic artist or a graphic designer 
mm-hmm. things like Adobe Illustrator and, and making brochures and logos and things like this. I felt this need to pivot and, and use a different part of my brain. So I left school and I uh, started taking on freelance work on, on graphic design and, and doing some of the local trade in my town, um, just picking up on that. And it was a great, it was a similar mindset especially the, the type of stuff I did, which was more vector-based, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of SVGs, a lot of typesetting, and all of these things were very systematic in my mind, less, uh, you know, fine art where there's more creativity, I would imagine, mm-hmm. if you would call it that. It was more structured, my stuff. You know, vertical rhythms in a brochure was important to me. And, um, and just, you know, building shapes with SVGs using one shape to cut out a chunk of a circle and then uh-huh. figuring out how to create these um, images. So you would, you would look at something in nature or you'd have a reference image and then finding out the, the bare minimum to do on an SVG to get that there and still communicate that intent. So that was right. a little exciting. Um, but ultimately I, I just had to come back to programming. All of these things was me trying to program as a graphic artist. You know, I would right. try to look at automating things um, and I got frustrated with it. You know, I wanted to write all these scripts in Adobe Illustrator to output to different formats. And uh, so I, after about two years of that, I, I just needed to go back into programming. So I started freelancing on, um, I think it was Upwork at the time and, and Freelancer. And there was one called Elance, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and it was PHP. So that was the, the thing at the time. It was WordPress plugins. It was, you know, MySQL database and PHP. And that's what I got back into programming. And it was an interesting time. It was PHP 4. So before classes and things like that, if, I, if I'm getting my numbers right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a PHP historian, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one shouldn't be really. Um, but it was great. It was programming again. But then I, I got too deep on that where I felt I was lacking all this artistic side. So at some point, it was, I need to find this balance. And obviously, PHP is, is web technology, so you bump into JavaScript. And, and JavaScript just opened up and said, hey, you can be artistic. You can create these visual elements on the page, but still be a programmer and still use those constructs. So um, that was my first... And I decided, I, I was busy playing around with this and decided, okay, I got to learn this. I got to become mm-hmm. something with JavaScript. And, uh, and part of the theme, and this is a theme for the rest of my career, was you know, finding an excuse to make use of this in some project or some way at work, right? So I was now starting right. to look for more JavaScript-heavy projects on these freelance sites. You know, how can I get into this? Because when I would sit down, and just try to learn JavaScript, it, it just wouldn't come to me. It would be, I would try to like bang around in the browser's term, uh, console, you know, just trying out these idioms, but it would never get further than that. I, I, I never had the ability to just build side projects and things. So I'd always try and find a way of getting it into work. And, uh, and eventually I did. I, I, I got into it. Um, I... I learned how to pick the wrong framework or the wrong library. So I didn't know if <laughs> this was around when jQuery was coming into full force. Um, I wouldn't even say the year because I'll get it wrong, but uh, jQuery had been around and it was a great, great library. But there was a, a smaller competitor um, to it called Prototype JS. And I Googled it yep. just before 
coming in here. And I was like, prototype JS, that's the way. Screw jQuery. I'm going to learn one. You do this right. And, yeah. uh, and Thomas, turns out that was Thomas, uh, his name. He built uh, Scriptaculous on top of it. Anyway. That's right. Yes. That's exactly right. So, um, I, yeah, and I learned that, and then I saw the, the world drifting more to jQuery, and it's yep. um, fluid API, so you just dot and chain these dot things, you know, dot append, dot this, dot that, mm -hmm. and it was just such a beautiful API. Um, so I got more into that, started to, you know, build little pieces of the page, but quickly turned out to be spaghetti coding. And... Um, and I needed some structure. So I started looking around and what was the first real MVC that I discovered was Backbone, right? Where you could finally uh, do backbone. structure, right? Get in that back to real coding and I quote unquote, where I felt like I was building a system and not tying one DOM element to another DOM element ad infinitum. Mm -hmm. So Backbone slowly snuck into it. Um, I, I fell in love with that because there's not real structure to it. I, I knew how to build a system and still use JavaScript. Um, and then because of the artistic side, I started to take on projects with uh, D3, which was super cool. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah, that, that stuff's amazing. It continues to be amazing. I mean, Mike Bostock is just ah, awesome stuff. And uh, building pie charts and dynamic things. One of them was a donut chart. Which you, you had to like combine certain elements of these other charts uh, in, in order to build it out. And it was, it was a whole different mindset because this wasn't MVC and this wasn't jQuery spaghetti. This was D3. It was, I want to say, more functional or declarative. Um, mm -hmm. But it was this whole new interface. And I still haven't seen anything of its, of its uh, similar to this structure of collecting and declaring how your uh, document should be. So it must be declarative, but I never, I never got into a computer science degree, so I'm probably missing a lot of the jargon around it. Yeah, <laughs> D3, was, D3 was cool. And yeah. uh, that was, I, I had huge fun with that. Absolutely. So what got you all the way over to OpenAPI and Swagger? So, I mean, it carried on with the, the JavaScript stuff for a while, um, you know, got into Angular and then fell in love with a, a full framework that could do unit tests. That was the first time discovered unit testing, which was awesome. Um, built bigger projects with JavaScript and uh, eventually got into doing some of these charts, these uh, visual charts for a company called Wordnik. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, a guy called Tony worked there, and he's the guy who came up with Swagger uh, along with some others. And oh, nice. uh, yeah, at that time, so he was like, oh, you're, you're okay. You know, you're not too bad, JavaScript. Uh, you know, you want to work on, on my little open source stuff? It wasn't that little at the time, but, you know, I'll, I'll try and play it that way. And uh, so I started hacking around with um, creating this three-column layout from a CodeGen package, which was all very new to me. Um, so a way of doing API documentation, right? So I, I got some sort of mustache template. That was my requirements. Here's a mustache uh, data or an object that we're going to feed into a mustache. Uh, you know, you build out mm -hmm. from there. And so I got into that and I started having fun. And uh, I eventually moved over to the open source stuff like uh, Swagger UI, which is right. JavaScript. Also, uh, interesting history because it was originally written in CoffeeScript. 
which was <laughs> great fun, right? Everyone was like, yeah, coffee strip, this is tourist, yep. this is cool. But um, with an open source project, you tend to want to use the most popular and easiest way of getting contributors. So they're like, okay, we got to get off coffee script. So let's move over to, you know, just vanilla JavaScript or as close as you can. And um, so chunks of the code were just this raw conversion between coffee script and JavaScript and debugging that was terrible. That was a nightmare. So that's, that was sort of the, the transition. And eventually I got more and more into that on, on the open source side of Swagger and, uh, and it grew. Um, I got a chance to do a Greenfield project. Um, so there's a commercial site to Swagger called Swagger Hub. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to start writing the first front-end code to that, uh, which is great because I got to pick all my favorite technologies to build this out. I was like, yes, I want all of these things. And uh, so React had just come out. I was like, yes, I want React. Um, this was before Redux. So uh, we looked at um, something called Reflux, which is also a similar uh, flux pattern of stores and actions, and, uh, mm-hmm. but no reducer. That was a Redux thing. And Immutable JS, that was another mind-blowing oh, abstraction. Yeah. yeah, now we've got, and just the fact that you could have these almost deep clone-like objects, but with this way of um, sharing the, the memory space, so, you know, not as costly as actually copying an entire object in memory, but still having it purely immutable, that blew my mind. Sorry, I'm going to say that a lot, but it's going back through history of all these, these awesome innovations as, as you discover them. It's, it brings back that excitement as if I was back there again. Yeah. We had uh, Lee Byron on to talk about uh, immutable JS. Oh, Awesome. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But yeah, it's, it's funny how we kind of move through these different technologies and, you know, they all kind of bring us to a different place in, you know, in our learning and in our growth. Right. So, so, yeah. What, what kinds of things have you built with JavaScript? Like what are you particularly proud of having done with JavaScript? So I suppose, I mean, the, the most recent stuff I'm, I'm quite proud of, like Swagger Hub is, is awesome and it's a great team to work with. And in just having been able to be in there at the start to help choose some of these technologies that went in there, probably be one of my most, the bigger one, refactoring Swagger UI is similar. So uh, we threw away the old code base of Backbone, CoffeeScript, and, and, uh, and I got to, to help build a, a plugin system for it, which um, was kind of bespoke, and, and it's turned out to have achieved its goal. Um, so I'm very proud of that where um, we had this idea that, okay, everyone was just forking Swagger UI all over the place and adding their little customizations. And so we would often be in these conversations with these, uh, these, these guys and girls who've forked it and now they need to update to the newest one. So that was a huge problem. And uh, so being able to design the system of, okay, we're gonna create a plugin system where you can do just one small change right, on a very granular level um, and, and still ha- keep up to date with the project. Um, so I'm proud of that part, and, and which allows other things built on top of it. So Swagger UI is plugged into Swagger Hub. Swagger Editor is built on top of it, and they all have the same core. They're all just layers, um, which, is, which is cool. And, um, I mean, the freelance stuff I did was, was fun, too. 
you know, working with um, charities, working with uh, a lot of the visual things, um, building these interactive SVG pages where design an SVG image and, um, and find pivoting points and then animate those pivoting points. So it felt like it came alive and, and reacted to, I, I can't remember what the, it was, it wasn't Angular. It was, there was another two-way binding library that did something similar where you would update, you know, a variable and the DOM would reflect it um, to get this. It was a, it was sort of like um, a scale. And uh, I know you can't see my hands, but the scale would have weights on either side of it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you could add weights to the scale. It was sort of part of a questionnaire of whether, um, whether you should seek help or not. So it was something, it was, this, it was about vets, uh, army vets, and right. uh, sort of as a questionnaire, and this was a visual element to the questionnaire of, you know, should you, you know, are you feeling too depressed? And you would answer these questions and the scale would pile up, right? And whether, yeah, right. you know, that's normal or no, you know, you should, you should look, into, look into that some more. And, and being able to work on things like that, which is, I think, pretty random and, and being able to work on the different visual elements coupled with um, smaller technologies, like, um, you know, I can't even remember that library's name. Uh, I think that's great. That, that, I'm, I'm proud of those little projects and I'm proud of Swagger, Swagger UI, Swagger Hub. Yeah, I'm proud of a lot of things. Yeah, that's awesome. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash jobbook. That's devchat.tv slash job book. So what are you working on now? So still, um, I'm now less front endy. Um, so again, talking about Swagger Hub, there was things like Docker, your microservices. And, um, and because I was the only front ender at one point in time as it started, um, I had to build my own Docker image and I had to get into the infrastructure side of things. And so I started gravitating towards that a bit because I like thinking bigger systems, architecting the entire stack now. And um, so I get to play a role in that of, of building, you know, on-premise solutions of you know, Kubernetes is, is something we're learning and, and getting to grips with um, of how to, you know, get services to chat to each other, how to get information out of them, analytics. And it's basically taking that fun part of JavaScript, little systems and growing it outward. Um, into bigger, bigger things, even to the point of process. You know, how do we get people to innovate on code? You know, how do we find time for that? You know, the, the, I suppose you almost call them bigger questions, um, but that's silly because, you know, big questions can happen on, on, on all sorts of sides, all sorts of parts of the project. But um, one thing that I do miss is is just picking these javascript libraries like there's i've now got a bucket list of things i want to learn and things i want to use yeah right i don't know how people get back into it i felt like i'm you know there's this 
and I came into JavaScript at an amazing time because I got to see some of these evolutions, uh-huh. you know, the introduction of, you know, Angular and jQuery to React and Redux and, and, and now some of the cool stuff that I really want to use. I mean, TypeScript is probably the closest thing I come now. I can start, you know, integrating that because it helps with onboarding. You know, types are a great system. Um, but like Svelta, you know, that little yep. compile time thing, that's fun. I built a little side doodle thing for myself using it. That was great to get back into that mindset of, you know, playing around and learning a new library. Um, I've always had a soft spot for closure and closure script, you know, the Lisp stuff. Yeah, and that, that looks to, really cool. It, it's, it's an awesome way because the Lisp languages are so simple. And, um, and the, the closure and closure script, which is just the, uh, uh, so closure compiles down to the JVM, compiles down to Java and closure script, which is the same language, um, but compiles to JavaScript. They both practice, you know, functional programming, immutable types right out of the box. There's everything's immutable. You cannot mutate things in place. And, and just thinking of that, you don't have for loops anymore. Because mm-hmm. you don't have this concept of mutating one thing over. So it changes your whole mindset of how to write code. You know, if you don't have for loops, how do you iterate? How do you go through these things? And, um, and recursion starts to kick in, you know, and you recurse them through the function and you just change the number. It's a, it's a way of getting around a for loop. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was also, but again, no real time to start building projects with these things you know, integrating them to work. It's, it's getting harder and harder to just say, hey, let's, let's build this new project. Let's pick all these cool technologies off the shelf. What's fun today and, and whip them up together. So it feels like the, the trajectory of being a kid in JavaScript where you can just have so much fun to more of a, you know, like young adult where you're, you're, you're picking technologies on a more like three-year time scale. It's like, okay, you know, I need this to work for a little longer than mm-hmm. just because it's shiny and new. And now I feel like that it's, it's about how easy is it to onboard devs? That's the big question. You know, how much support is this? How much support is um, for this new technology? Um, you know, what's the community around it like? And less on how shiny it is. And it's a different, it's a different mindset. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm working through some of the same stuff, right? I mean, I spent a month playing around with and learning Vue.js. And, uh, you know, now I'm picking up React Native. I mean, some of this is out of necessity based on the situation with different podcasts and things like that and what I feel like I need to know. But then it's like, okay, what concepts are coming out of this? And how do they do this different from the other thing? And just the opportunity to kind of explore and learn and grow and and just goof around and be like, okay, what's the most insane thing I can do with this? And <laughs> it's so exciting. It's, it's yeah. so much fun to, to learn a new library. Um, and, and I'm great. I haven't even touched Vue. Like I, it's, it's sort of looks like angular. And so I sort of like, it's low on the bucket list. Like there's still RxJS. It's like, Oh, that's amazing. Streams at like low dash for streams. And, and getting that to work, but hard to find an excuse to throw it into the project yet because it's so powerful, but there's so many simple things in our project that it doesn't amount to having this complexity or, oh, CSS. CSS has become a huge bugbear. I'm starting to really despise CSS files. 
Like obviously <laughs> we need them, right? They're, they're important. Yeah. But having global CSS, it's just, I'm starting to think no more global CSS. Everything is oh, yeah. fully scoped, right? That for me feels like the future. Yeah, well, just, and React's picked that up and uh, Vue has picked that up and Angular's picked that up as an option. And so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm big on, I, I think I want to just throw away, I want to have one CSS file or less or SAS or whichever to have just the basics. So no class yeah. names. That would be like my rule. No class names, no IDs either. Just right. the you know, input, H tags, the, right. the real basics. basic so layout got, stuff. Yeah, just real basics. And then everything else must be a component. Yeah. Right? It's, it's scoped only to that. You know what your space is. And in terms of reuse, you know, we're reusing the entire component. That's, that's fine. Yep. And um, that's, that's my next, well, next. It's, it's, it's definitely high on the bucket list. And this one I'm, I'm, I'm going to hope to get in to our project soon because CSS yep. has become mad. Just, well, it, uh, it's mm -hmm. okay. Well, how does this cascade with this other thing that cascade with this other thing cascade? And I've got three classes on this. So now it's, what, does this yeah, it's, that one? it's a mess. And you poke one thing and, and the confidence because there's no yeah. unit tests on this and, and we're looking into, you know, screenshot testing and all these sorts of things. But if I change a selector, I don't know the impact it's had on yeah. a product or a site that perhaps has hundreds of different views, right? What, how do I test that? That's terrible. That's a nightmare, right? Yeah. So I, I don't change things anymore. I only add more specificity. It's like, okay, well, I'll just add another selector or another thing on top of this and, and then the mess grows and you're left yeah. with this pile of CSS that no one can touch. Eventually, yep. you know, just throw out chunks of it and start from scratch. Yep. So how do things make it into your bucket of stuff you want to learn? Uh, all over the place. So I get Hacker News is big, right? Uh -huh. You know, you scan that now and then. And I, just like you said, I'm looking for new concepts. I'm looking for things that set it apart, mm -hmm. right? What, what makes RxJS interesting? What's the pitch? And every now and then I'll land on an awesome YouTube video of someone mm -hmm. pitching me the idea of these technologies. And for me, that's the biggest win, right? When someone's right. on YouTube and he's saying, I love this because of this and, and just communicating the underlying concepts. And then I, I have to add it to the bucket list because that's, that's got to go there. That's awesome. That's amazing. I mean, yep. closure and closure script, it was a weird way of being introduced to this. I don't think many people have had this. I came across a website. I want to find its name so you can get the link on this. And as a way of writing Lisp, so it was this tool that you would add to your IDE and you'd be able to write Lisps easier. It would have this way of, because Lisps, you know, all those parentheses, they become mad too where you don't know where your starting and ending parentheses are. But the, some person, some amazing person decided to mathematically prove how you could balance these lisps. You would have two modes of editing. And I found it, it's called par infer. So I'll give you the link here. So somehow I stumbled on this website and I saw this, and it's an amazing website, you should just play around with it, it's really fun. Mm -hmm. It's parinfer, and it's this method of writing Lisp code or editing Lisp code where you're either doing the indents, 
So you're either indenting your code and then the ID will automatically add or remove the parentheses right. so that it feels natural or you're doing the parentheses and it'll automatically indent. So you're either in right. one of two of these modes and it does, it can blow up. It's not, you know, implementation can suffer and you can get into a little bit of a weird state. But this idea that code was so well structured that editing it became a, a breeze and there was this intelligence behind it. It's not just a text file. You're editing something that's more alive. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I got to learn about Lisp. So then it, you know, started choosing what's the best Lisp, Who, you know, who's cool now. And of course, uh, Rich Hickey, the, one of the authors of Clojure, is an amazing yeah. orator. So you go one or two of his YouTubes and then you're hooked on Clojure as, as an amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah, simple so, made easy. Oh yeah, no, he, uh, it's so many cool ideas in there. I yeah. mean, just pick and choose, uh, which yeah. is probably, oh, another thing on the bucket list, Datomic. So yeah. same guys, um, uh, what are they called? Cognitect? Cognit that sounds right. Right, something like that. Sorry, Rich, but they, they're doing this database, an immutable database. What a, what a weird concept. I mean, how, how do you get use out of an immutable database? Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's an EAV system, which I also think is the future of things. And the idea that you're always looking at a database as a snapshot in time. Mm -hmm. So you can say, okay, as of right now, what's the database? And that's what you work on. And it won't change under your feet, right? So you're looking at this entire database from a snapshot in time, and you know that it's consistent. And yeah, it's going to be a little out of date because, you know, a second later, 10 transactions came through. But you know it's consistent. It's not going to move as you're querying the database. And that was a powerful idea, immutability. And even their whole, the way they structure it where, they sell Datomic. It, it's, it's something they sell. And I think there's some free plans and stuff. So it's not like a regular open source thing that it's completely open source. You can just pull it off GitHub or deploy it. Um, but they just do the orchestration of it. And they use backends like Postgres or S3 buckets or these other forms of actual storage. Also, the business model is very interesting. But yeah, definitely. And there's, there's a JavaScript side to this. Um, I should say closure script side. So Datomic has a query language called Datalog. Mm -hmm. And, and so uh, a guy, his handle is Tonsky wrote Datascript, which uses this EAV. So the, 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 the entity attribute value stuff, a way of storing the data and this Datalog query, which is incredibly powerful. And he implemented in closure script, but it's got a JavaScript API. Because again, ClojureScript compiles to JavaScript and they're quite linked. Um, so that's taking a database, a full-blown database, and putting it in your browser. We've got powerful queries. You've got all the you know, similar structures of, I think you've even got atomicity in your transactions, which mm -hmm. not really needed, but great, right? And it's really a query language. Just imagine having like SQL in your browser. Yeah, it's quite fun. Yeah, Awesome. Um, we're pretty much out of time and I usually let these go long if I can, but I can't, I have another call. Um, For sure. so how do people find you online if they want to connect with you? So LinkedIn's easy. Uh, my name's pretty unique. No one's got the surname Ponalat. Um, so you Google that pretty much get me, you know, take a look at the company's products, you know, smart bear, swagger hub, all those cool things. Um, I'm on GitHub. I'm just Ponalat on Twitter. I'm J Ponalat. 
Um, so we can put some links in there. And, and of course, one quick plug, writing a book on OpenAPI. Um, so if you, if you like OpenAPI and Swagger, check, definitely check that out. Uh, it's being published by Manning and it's, it's coming along. It's not fully written yet, but it's getting, it's almost getting there. And you can start to look at it in the MEEP, uh, Manning's early access program. Awesome. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and do some picks. Did you bring some, picks, oh, yeah. some things to shout out about? I did. I actually, I prepared for this because nice. I, I, was, I was thinking you're coming. So I got three and, and they're pretty, pretty quick. Uh, first one is Miro, M-I-R-O. And this is a brainstorming tool and it's really just been blowing my mind. I don't know if you've seen this. Nope, I haven't. So it's really just a way of smashing your brain onto a collaborative, it's, it's a SaaS, it's a website. You go mm -hmm. Miro.com. And I think there's some desktop tools to integrate with it, but you can just integrate into everything. You can create mind maps and as a collaboration tool of, of discussing ideas, I've yet to find something this powerful. So definitely check out Miro. Awesome tool. And the other thing is tea and coffee. I recently started looking into pour over coffee. I'm an espresso fanatic and um, you know, it was flat whites and cappuccinos. Those were my jam and then ristrettos. But pour over coffee done well with something like Chemex, I think it's pronounced Chemex, really great. And in tea, there's a thing called Gung Fu style. Uh, it's, it's a way of, so you get these oolong teas, these full leaf teas, mm -hmm. and it's sort of, it's more tea, less water, and brewed faster. So Western style tea, you got a tea bag, throw it in a cup, pour water, let it sit for about half a minute, maybe a minute, and you drink it. And if you reduce the time, increase the amount of tea, decrease the amount of water, you get a very interesting brew of tea. Um, so gungfu, which I pronounce, hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, gungfu style tea is something to check out because it's. I was never a tea fan, and I decided I need to. I need to get in on this. I need to discover some cool teas. So that's been that's been awesome. Awesome. Very cool. I'm going to throw out a couple of picks of my own. So I've got a couple of picks. The, the first one is a pick. And uh, this, this is something that I've kind of looked at for a while. I've talked to uh, the people who created it. And they're awesome. It's called Interview Cake. Um, I've been talking to a lot of people that don't have a CS degree. And they get all kinds of concern because they don't know algorithms and data structures the way that CS uh, graduates do. And... Yeah. In, in this case, I really have liked what they've put together. So they have kind of a crash course that will walk you through that stuff and make sure you understand it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, Interview Cake. Um, if you use our link, then we get a kickback. If not, and I think you get a discount too. But yeah, I, I just, I love the product and so I'm going to pick that. And then uh, the other pick that I have is um, I have a couple of uh, docking stations that I've bought on Amazon over the years for my MacBook Pro because it has all the USB-C slash Thunderbolt 3 ports and no other ports. And it's kind of nice to have the other ports if you want to plug anything into it. So um, anyway, I'll put a link to the one that I like the best in there. But yeah, there are a lot of great options and they don't cost a ton. Um, this one actually has a place for me to plug the power supply in. So it gets its power off the power supply and powers my laptop and everything else. And it's portable. It's, it's a dongle. And so uh, I like that one. I have another one here that 
is actually, you know, it sits on my desk and, um, you know, it has a few more ports and capabilities on it, but honestly, the other one I, I really, really love. So I'm going to pick that. And uh, with that, I guess we'll wrap up. Uh, thanks for coming, Josh. Thanks, Chuck. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. And until the next time, max out, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.